The Cannabis Conversation. A European perspective on the emerging legal cannabis industry. Welcome to the Cannabis Conversation with Anuj Desai, where we explore the new legal cannabis industry by speaking to the professionals that are helping to shape it. On today's show, we have Tyler Robson. Tyler is CEO of The Valens Company, who are a vertically integrated cannabis company and the largest third-party extraction company in Canada. Welcome, Tyler. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, good, good, good. Things are starting to come back to normality. How about you guys? I don't know if they've ever been normal for us, but things are definitely <laughs> busy and uh, we're doing our best to essentially navigate the uncharted territory. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, look, let's start at the most customary point. Tell us a bit about yourself, about your background. How did you get into the cannabis industry and why? Yeah, so long story short, I was involved in the cannabis industry for a number of years now, starting at the old licensing in Canada called the MMAR or MMPR. And then I graduated from the University of Saskatchewan with a a degree in biology and essentially saw a unique opportunity to participate in the legal framework that was kind of coming down the pipe. Valence had a very interesting start compared to a lot of our industry peers. When we really wanted to get into the cannabis landslide, we, we really believed cultivation was a commodity and it would commoditize a lot quicker than people expected. So we really went after the extraction based products or, or platform essentially where we applied for the first license in Canada to do extractions or cannabis derivatives called the narcotics dealers license. So we've been in extractions and, and product development for a lot longer than people give us credit for. Yeah, wow. And that quite a bold step as well actually because it was a big land grab. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, no pun intended. But. For sure. Everybody went after this weird term called funded capacity, where their market cap or the size of their company was based on how many square feet of cultivation they had. To me, that's not fundamentally sound, especially in some of the coldest places in Canada. They're throwing up these massive greenhouses. To me, it was destined for failure. And I think we're seeing that today. Yeah. And, you know, it's the looking for the market before it's there sort of thing. Exactly. For sure. <laughs> cool. Well, I mean, tell us a bit more about Valence in that, in, in that case. Yeah, so Valens is, is, is located on the west coast of Canada right now. Obviously, we've made a few global expansions. Uh, we're, we're currently building in Australia, and then we're building on the east coast of Canada as well. Essentially, it's the one-stop shop for anything cannabis, whether it's analytical testing, product manufacturing, development, distribution. We really try to kind of set the standard for anything in cannabis derivatives. We started on the west coast of Canada, and now we're, we're, we have a national footprint, and we're also opening an opportunity in Australia. So a little bit more unique, and essentially for us, it's all about medical and then participating in recreational in time as well. We believe in consistent dosing and consumer experiences. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, there's a few questions that come from that. What, what sort of products are you, do you have at the moment? So we're dabbling in everything right now. So we're actually the first ones in Canada to launch a legal beverage. We've So we've done beverages, topicals, vape pens. Those are kind of the, the dominant ones right now. And then obviously, because we're in extraction, we're doing hydrocarbon-based products. So we're, we're launching crumble, wax, shatter, rosin. Hash is coming down the pipe pretty quick here too. So a, a lot of different derivatives or extracts you'll, you'll see in the market very, very soon uh, with some already being there. Well, I mean, we've talked about it a bit on the show in terms of flower versus extracts. Are you seeing that move from the, the former to the latter? 
We are. It's taking a bit longer than expected in Canada. We've had a, a, some trouble rolling out private retail stores. Every province is running a little bit differently. Alberta seems to be the front runner right now with the most stores open, and then BC and Ontario falling close behind. But the shift is definitely happening. It'll take time and it'll take some experience, and people need to get comfortable with some of the extracts because they are a little bit more potent. But if we follow the U.S. and kind of what happened in Colorado, California, we expect that trend to continue to develop. Yeah, and with particular relevance for Europe, because obviously it's it's a medical market and there is no recreational. How do you see the, the, the importance of extracts versus flour in, in the medical market? To be honest, I have a really hard time believing flour is medical. When you look at inhalation, it's definitely not the cleanest way of ingestion and it's inconsistent. Whereas if you look at a medical product, it should be the same whether it's product number one or product a million. You can really replicate products with extraction derivatives and different delivery systems. So I'm, I'm really a big believer in, in different compounds, different molecules and, and consumer experiences that are replicable. So flour for me isn't, isn't as medical as it should be because again, if you take a Tylenol or an Advil anywhere in the world, it's consistent. That's not the same as flour. Depending on where the bud are essentially located on the flower or the plant, it's completely different. So not much medical in my mind about it. <laughs> yeah, I guess in that case, it's kind of more education for consumers and producers as well, right? For sure. And it'll take it'll take time too. And especially with extractions, you can really customize the formulation or the compounds you want, whether it's CBN, CBG, there's, there's different combinations, different terpene profiles that again, affect the outcome. You can't do that with flour. So when you really look at medical, that's the way it has to go is derivatives and extracts. And when we really look at the global landslide of how cannabis is going to roll out, it's going to be oil-based products. Every country in time will have a medical program. Very few will go recreational in the foreseeable future. So it'll take some time for that to roll out. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. That sounds like a, a smart move. And, and just the last bit on Valence, are you guys looking at Europe at all? Well, we are looking at Europe, yeah. We've gone a little bit slower and a little bit more methodical than some of our industry peers, which seems to be the right play. We really wanted to walk before we run. We wanted to be fundamentally sound. We wanted to be profitable. We really wanted to kind of cut our teeth in Canada and, and make any mistakes we were going to before we laid out a global landslide. But it's something we're paying very, very close attention to. And when the right opportunity comes, we'll definitely jump on it. Great stuff. Great. Cool. Cool. So look, the main topic of the show that uh, to, to get you on was to discuss Cannabis 2.0 in Canada, which is obviously a kind of, you know, big topic. Uh, why don't we take a step back from that first and maybe you can tell us what Cannabis 1.0 was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Cannabis 1.0 in Canada was very, very basic and mundane. Licensed producers basically had the ability to cultivate flour and then sell flour. And then eventually they got some some oil derivatives. But again, tinctures and soft gels aren't very medical and aren't very consistent in, in consumer experience. Very few people want to take an oil droplet and put it in their mouth. They want different delivery systems, different factors. So 1.0 was, was kind of the first step to federal legalization and bringing people into a legal framework. 2.0 is really the difference maker in Canada. That's the vape pens, that's edibles, beverages, concentrates, cosmetics. It's basically anything else with cannabinoid content. So that's really the difference maker in, in Canada right now. Yeah. Was there any logic to the phased process of this and the phased rollout, let's say? I think 
fear more than anything was probably part of the phase rollout <laughs> with, with concentrates coming out. Health Canada was on the more conservative side, which I don't blame them. It's about understanding what's going on, understanding experience, understanding dosing. So it really took time. And I, I credit Health Canada because they've done a, a good job phasing it in. But it was only a matter of time. If we want to complete with the illicit market or black market in any capacity, we need different products. We need different delivery systems. We even need different price points. When you look at value add or, or top tier, even alcohol is, is shaped like that. So we, we had to basically get here. And I think Health Canada did the best they could given the circumstances because the sector is moving extremely quick. And you look at what they've been tasked to do and, and implement a federally legal program from seed to sale would be challenging at the best of times. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. It's a huge task. And everyone's learning at the same time as well. Absolutely. So, yeah. So you talked a bit about some of the products in the extract sort of umbrella, concentrates and derivatives. Can you go into sort of a bit of a high level of the, the different things that, that fall under that term? Well, those yeah, terms, rather. absolutely. The best way to actually break it down is look at the different type of extractions. So the first one to look at is essentially CO2, which is the most common extraction in Canada where you're going to get a very high caliber, very good tasting oil or extract, which is very good for vape pens essentially, where if you look at ethyl alcohol or ethanol, it's a very harsh solvent and removes a lot of the cannabinoid content and a lot of the terpene profile. Mm -hmm. So that's going to go into like a topical cream or something where you don't have a very good taste profile. And the next one is essentially hydrocarbon. So that's best way to think about is anything with a taint, so butane, hexane, propane, pentane, and that's a very boutique or craft market. So that's where the shatter waxes, crumbled, very, very, very high-end, very potent product, very volatile solvent. So very few people have the ability to do those kind of extracts. But if we model after California, for example, it, it owns a significant market share, and that's why we wanted to bring that platform into Canada as well. So it really depends on your user experience or your end product, and we work backwards from where you want to go. Yeah. And am I right in understanding the CO2 extraction delivers a kind of a more kind of wider amount of active compounds than the others? I think you mentioned that alcohol seems to get rid of a lot of the kills, the terpenes and cannabinoids. Does CO2 sort of maintain a similar balance to, to what was in the original source material? Yeah. So CO2 definitely has more full spectrum components than ethyl alcohol. But it's, it's very similar to hydrocarbon. So hydrocarbon will get a lot of that same profile. But CO2 is, is much more effective in, in providing full spectrum oil than ethyl alcohol or ethanol. It's completely different profile and completely different cost structure too. So when people are buying end products, they really should be looking at the platform that it is, is extracted in. Yeah, very interesting. And how is this being received in the marketplace? When did, when did 2.0 go live? Uh, so it went October 17th, 2019. So it, it's, it's fairly new. And a lot of it is too is the education and rollout of private retail. So it's going to take some time for people to understand the difference in the price points. And But again, it comes back to the consumer experience of really what you're looking for, especially if you're looking for medical properties. It, it's going to take some time to get those clinical studies out in clinical trials to really have some hard data behind it and to be able to make label claims. Yeah. And you talked about a couple of them, but what, what are the issues? So get more, more retail outlets, et cetera, but are there any other kind of issues that, yeah, that so are affecting it? The biggest one would be the private retail locations, but the second one would be consumer awareness or education platform. So as we're educating the private retail chains, we have to also take one more step to the bud tenders, the people that are actually dispensing the cannabis products to create a little bit more unique opportunity to educate them and really show the difference of what products can do and why they're there. And I think companies or, or private retail chains are doing the best they can 
given how quick they're moving. But when you're opening stores, when you're opening in different provinces, there's obviously a lot of challenge and hurdles to come by. So it'll just take time to really kind of educate the consumer. And, and what we can do is info sessions online, send out pamphlets or even essentially sandwich boards with, with information on it in the private retail. But it'll just take time. And then people have to almost have trial and error as well. What products work for them and which ones don't. Because if you and I have the same example edible, we might be affected completely different. So part of it too is is, is just going to take time. Yeah, I mean, I I love that part about cannabis, the whole personalization aspect of it. The same thing can have different effects on different people. Absolutely. Yeah. And presumably you're looking to places like Colorado and California to see how those markets have evolved as well. What are you seeing from those guys in relation to extracts? Yeah, so extracts is climbing month over month and even brands. Brands is a little bit more prominent than what a lot of people would have thought. Is when people get comfortable, whether it's it's a, a type of toothpaste or a type of sunscreen, whatever it is, once you get familiar with a brand, people have a tendency to go back. So one thing we're really striving on for is bringing products to market we can stand behind because first impressions clearly go a long way. And I think a few licensed producers in Canada have, have made that mistake and they're going to learn the hard way that if you don't stand behind your product, it will affect you long term so when we really launch a product we essentially come correct we want to make sure it's right we want to make sure it's consistent and everybody in the building can basically sleep well at night knowing we did our best to to launch a product that's going to be consistent and well received by the consumer another one too is is edibles and beverages are continuing to rise if we look at washington beverage beverages are are growing month over month and a lot of people don't understand the cannabis beverage yet it has a similar effect to alcohol but it has less caloric intake so when you really create a consumer experience around a a cannabis infused beverage there's definitely a good opportunity to to grab market share and continue to build that category yeah yeah fascinating it's there's so much to come isn't there it just that made me think, actually. So, you know, derivatives are obviously coming from a specific cultivar of, of cannabis that's been grown. Are you guys looking at sort of reconstructing stuff as well? So, you know, taking the constituent cannabinoids, let's say, and terpenes and putting it back together in a certain formulation? Absolutely, we do. And that's one of the things we pride ourselves on here at Valence is we do a lot of custom manufacturing. So we're reintroducing terpenes, we're pulling out different cannabinoid content. Yeah, we're basically custom manufacturing any formulation that we want. And we're, we're doing a lot of trial and error as to see what works. Again, for us, I think it comes back to consumer experience. If we can make a replicable product that's consistent every single time, we really think that'll win at the end of the day. And there's so many different potentials for formulations or cannabinoid content that we're, we're really taking that very, very seriously. And, and we're putting a lot of time, money and effort into our R&D to make sure we're coming out ahead. Yeah, it must be so exciting when you've got like such a big toy box to play with <laughs> and almost an infinite amount of combinations as well. It's one of the most exciting things, but it's also one of the most fearful things is there's so many unknowns about what's coming that we really don't know what to expect, especially when we're, we're doing R&D on different profiles and different delivery systems or even different experiences because one cannabinoid or, or one terpene can greatly affect the outcome. So it's, it's really taking time to finalize and make sure it's even shelf stability is one that a lot of people don't pay attention to is how how long is that product shelf stable at a different formulation? So oxidization rates and all these other things come into play. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes, to say the least. Yeah, there's huge amounts, aren't there? One of the other parts of the Canadian industry that, that I've noticed, and I'm sure most people have, is the emergence of this sort of budget or value cannabis range 
basically a lower cost version. What what's your, what are your views on that and how that sort of started and evolving? Yeah, I think it was only a matter of time. If essentially we're competing with the black market, we have to compete with the black market. We we can't be undercut if you want to be sustainable. But what happened is a lot of these licensed producers didn't really control their their SGNA or their COGS, their their cost of goods sold. So their cost of production was two, three, four, five dollars per gram. So in in order to make anything, they had to sell for call it 10 plus to the provinces, which mm-hmm. isn't fundamentally sound. Again, it comes back to, can you be profitable? Can you be sustainable? So it was just a matter of time until consumers wanted a, a, an affordable product. And I think we're seeing the shift right now where some people are, are able to basically pass their savings on to the consumer and some people won't. So weird inflection point at the time. And I think that's why Valens is, is so successful because we didn't grow at the same rate as everybody else. We were sustainable, we were profitable, and we went a little bit more methodical. I think I think the internal model is we're playing the long game. We want to be around in five years. We want to be around in 10 years. So it's, it's what decisions can we make today to ins- ensure that ability to happen. So we're comfortable with the shift that's happening and, and we expected it to come and, and maybe not come on as quick, but we've always been waiting for it to happen. Yeah. And so it just occurred to me, so in terms of where's your supply come from, and you don't need to go into specific details, but yeah. what are the things that you're looking for in terms of where you're getting your raw, raw materials from? Yeah. So we source from all over Canada and what a lot of people don't understand is we don't actually buy whole flour. What we buy is cannabinoid content. So we really look at the COAs to see what cannabinoid content is there, the volumes of them, the terpenes, and then the basically how old the product is. Because when it's going into extraction, essentially what goes in may come out. So we really buy high quality product to go into extraction and we source it from all over Canada. And it comes from, again, the consumer experience. What product are we trying to make? And then we'll source input material that replicates that so we can fine tune it. Right. Very interesting. Very interesting. Cool. So as we sort of get towards the end, what do you think needs to change in the industry to sort of really push it on? So I think two things. I think Consumer awareness or education is a massive one that needs to change. And I think more licensed producers have to really take that seriously and educate the consumer. The next one is marketing. We're pretty limited on Canada as to what we can do and what we can say as far as cannabis-based products. But if you look at alcohol or, or any other sector, they don't have the same limitations as we do. So I, I think Health Canada eventually has to open that up for this market to be a little bit more successful than it is today and compete with some of the other industries. So the marketing platform really needs to open. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a perennial problem, isn't it, around the world? I re- the first point you made about education is obviously something that I'm very passionate about, and I try to sort of push out through the podcast. Do you guys get involved in that? Do you do you put content out? Do you or do you work with people that that do that? Absolutely, we do. So that's a, a big one for us is education and awareness and and just consistency. So we've actually partnered with Shoppers Drug Mart, which is the largest pharmaceutical distribution platform in Canada, and then University Health Network to do standardized dosing and traceability. So that's something we take very very seriously here, and and we do want to play our part in kind of shaping the global landslide for for education platforms and consistency. So that's something we're, we're very very active in. Yeah. And do you talk to to the medical establishment as well? Because obviously that's quite a key. Absolutely, we do. And yeah, and Shoppers Drug Mart gave us that platform. So we're working with Ken over there and and he's done a tremendous job of opening doors for pharmacists and different platforms for us to educate people. And we've done in-person sessions, we've done online webinars, we've sent pamphlets, Q&A. We've basically done everything in our power right now to basically push that. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And then, you know, last question is a bit of a crystal ball gazing. 
where do you see things going in the future? You talked about, about a bit about beverages. Are there any other areas that you think are, are exciting? Yeah, I, I think there's the well, the whole industry is exciting essentially because there's so many unknowns and there's such a unique opportunity to be successful. And I think the companies that focus and, and focus on fundamentals more than anything are going to be extremely successful. But the health and wellness sector is going to be massive on a global landslide. I, I truly believe that's going to be a big one. And even pet, the pet industry with, with CBD mm. and anti-inflammatory, I think those are two massive opportunities that people aren't really focusing on yet. So as, as much as recreation cannabis is great in Canada, I think there's a global opportunity for, for those two sectors, health and wellness in the pet industry. Yes, yeah. Pets, actually, is a good reminder. It's an area I haven't covered on the show yet, so I'll be, uh, I'll be looking to speak to any vets out there who are interested in talking about that uh, as an aside. But the wellness sector is obviously huge, and I can't imagine it's going to have anything other than a, a positive kind of a slant, uh, given, given COVID and all the rest of it. So... Yeah, it looks like there's, there's a big opportunity there. Yeah, the opportunity right now is endless. So as long as people are focused and, and again, fundamentally sound, I think the opportunity is theirs for the taking. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Okay, cool. Well, my, my trademark final question is always, and I'm, I'm always, when I ask Canadians this, it's a slightly different answer, but you know, what did your, what did your parents say when you told them you were getting into the cannabis industry? It was very different for each parent. My my father was super excited. He was a big advocate for cannabis. My mom was not so impressed at the time. Uh, she essentially thought I was a drug dealer and thought I was going to get in a whole bunch of trouble. But she's definitely warmed up to the idea and has seen kind of the greater good of what the plant can do. So I think some of her friends and some of my aunts and uncles are still a little hesitant. But I think overall net positive. Very good. Very good. If you can convince a skeptic, that's a brilliant, brilliant piece of work done. Exactly. <laughs> For sure. Cool. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for joining me today. It's really uh, great to hear more about Valence and what you guys are up to and, and also a bit about a bit more about Cannabis 2.0 in um, Canada. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great stuff. Hope to see you soon. Thanks for joining me for that. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy it, please hit subscribe on whichever platform you're using. You can also follow the Cannabis Conversation page on LinkedIn. And you can also sign up to my mailing list at cannabis-conversation.com. See you next week.